everybody. Welcome back to the I Save That podcast. I'm Judy Thompson, the Director of Education at the Association for Vascular Access, joined as always by my partner in crime, Blake. Welcome. Hey, how's it going, Judy? It's awesome. It's awesome. I can't wait for this podcast because we're going to be talking about an upcoming article in IQ. Not really upcoming. It's just published. I'm bleeding and oozing. So I'd like to welcome to our show, we have Tara Fain and Lori Kazmarek. But before we hear from Tara and Lori, a quick word from our sponsors. Adhesion Biomedical. SecurePort IV catheter securement adhesive is a new standard of care for vascular access with 10 recommendations for the use of topical adhesive in the 2021 INS standards. Never before has a single product offered two levels of securement, microbial protection, and a site sealant. SecurePort IV provides securement at both the catheter hub and the insertion site to minimize catheter movement, migration, and dislodgement. Then, it seals the insertion site with a moisture-proof microbial barrier to minimize bleeding and oozing and to protect the site from contamination. SecurePort IV, a new standard of care. For more information, visit www.secureportiv.com. After that quick message from our sponsors, I'd like to welcome back to our show, Lori Kazmarek and Tara Fain. Welcome, ladies. Hi, it's great to be here. It's so good to have you guys. So, Lori, tell me about what's going on with Bleeding and Oozing and this article that we're going to see in IQ. Well, thanks. As part of work with tissue adhesive that I've been doing, I had an opportunity to do a survey of clinicians that are using tissue adhesive to help control bleeding and oozing among all the other benefits that we see. So I put an article together and it's published in the IQ for everyone to see, and it's on adult patients. And I, what I did is survey clinicians that are currently using tissue adhesive and trying to get a feel for their experience and the clinical response to using tissue adhesive for that particular challenge that we face. So I did a survey and like I said, I had uh, probably, I think it was about 21 uh, respondents. And one of those who was not part of the survey though is Tara Fain that I invited to come on to this podcast. She had, at the time I was doing the survey, was actually doing her trial at her hospital, but it was interesting to hear her feedback, which was in sync with everything that I heard from clinicians. So I wanted to invite Tara to join us. Hi, Tara. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. But the topic here is bleeding and oozing and the challenges that that faces with clinicians. Obviously, it really um, creates a problem with infection and, and in addition to all the risks to the patient and unscheduled dressing changes. So I wanted to ask um, what your trial was like and how, you know, when you're identifying that that particular problem, you and I spoke about this. Can you talk a little bit about your experience and and how you captured your baseline data? I know this is a challenge for many clinicians to know what the, to identify their problem and then know how they're fixing it or resolving it. Absolutely. When I started reading about tissue adhesive and, and reading studies that were out there, we really felt like this would be something that we could add to our toolbox 
that would help decrease some of the problems we were having with early dressing changes due to bleeding. Um, So what I did was we designed a four-week data collect, and then it was followed by a four-week trial. A lot of the lines that we looked at were the picks that we inserted, but also all other lines since my team rounds on all lines in the hospital every day in our 633-bed facility. For our baseline data collection, what we did was we just made note of early dressing changes uh, that we had to affect because the site was bleeding, non-occlusive, moist, um, et cetera. And we looked at, we found 47 during that time that had to be changed early. And early we defined as any dressing that did not make it to its seven-day window. And of these, almost half of them were because of the of bleeding, whether it was post-insertion bleeding or just bleeding due to movement. We were looking at not only PICs, but IJ, subclavians, and femoral lines as well. And then we followed on with a four-week trial where we actually applied tissue adhesive at the site for all our new, new PIC insertions, as well as central lines if we had to change a dressing for whatever reason. Um, and we captured 97 of those. During that four-week trial, we found that we could actually demonstrate a 90% reduction in the number of early dressing changes that we wow. had. Yeah, I was, I was super impressed with that. <laughs> when I did the initial presentation, I just sort of paused and I said, let me say that again, 90%. So it doesn't sound like you used your electronic medical record per se. You had to create a separate data management system or a different tool. Is that correct? We did. We basically, I created a spreadsheet that we just tracked um, the type of line it was, whether tissue adhesive had been applied. So of course, for the baseline data track, that column was no in all of those. And then did you apply tissue adhesive at time of dressing change? And then day, whatever, like line was inserted on 5-1, dressing change, on 5-3. So we knew those were early dressing changes. And then we had a whole column on the outside that everybody put notes in. Like it was loose because patient had been peeling on it. And then we excluded those or post-insertion bleeding or what have you. Patient took a bath and it got wet. We excluded that. You talked about your presentation that you gave then at your facility. You mentioned a substantial cost savings, and I know that's always hard for us as clinicians to really quantify, you know, justifying one product addition to your, you know, to your toolbox, so to speak. Tell me how you came about your numbers and what, how you presented that. That's always uh, interesting. We decided to approach it from a cost reduction standpoint, primarily because we knew that it would be easier to actually do the breakdown on that and present that case. If we had approached it from any other standpoint, such as uh, minimization of catheter-related bloodstream infections, we knew that going in, a four-week trial was going to be statistically very small. We felt like approaching it from a financial standpoint would probably be the easiest case to make. At my facility, um, here just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, 
we know that a dressing change kit, two different types of dressing change kits, and one is like $23 and one is $27. So if I took a mean of 25, plus at the time we were using um, the CHG gel dressings, and we didn't change our normal process. If a bio patch had been placed or CHG gel had been placed normally as standard practice, we continued with that. And we just applied that over the tissue adhesive on the site. So knowing the cost of the dressing change kits that we use, we used an average of $25. One kit is 23, one kit is 27. And then we also added in the cost of the CHG gel dressings that we that are a part of our standard work. We would apply the tissue adhesive and then apply a gel dressing or an antimicrobial disc over that. Um, we didn't want to change any of those processes and confuse any of the frontline nurses. And then we added in the cost of a stat lock, which was $3. And then also the cost of nursing time, taking all those things into consideration. I had, for example, an IJ that was placed on day one required an early dressing change on day three, and then again on day six for bleeding. So if we had two early dressing changes, because we said anything within that seven-day window, we were considering an early dressing change uh, that used two IJ kits for a cost of $23 each, the two gel dressings, 30 minutes of nursing time on the average per change equaled $109. And then it was uh, even more if for some reason we had to use additional product like some sort of hemostatic disc. Our trial demonstrated the greater than 90% reduction in need for scheduled dressing changes. If we applied that 90% reduction that I saw within our four-week trial to that same 47 that we had in the initial four weeks and when we collected our baseline data, 90% of 47 would have been 42 dressing changes that we could have avoided had we been using tissue adhesive at that time. So that could represent a savings of $1,300 over that four-week period. And then if you carry that out and do the math for the year, it would have been $18,018. So we thought that was, I was blown away by, by those figures when I actually crunched the numbers. And being a math phobe such as I am, I had to do that several times just to make sure that I actually had it right. <laughs> So interesting to hear. And, and that's one of the challenges, I think. And I know Judy and Blake will attest to that too. We hear from clinicians all the time. How do I put a value to what I'm doing, not just in vascular access, but in nursing in general? But I'm always curious too. You and I have talked, I've been trying to prompt you along to put some of this data together in a poster. That's my nudge again. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll to, to share more about this, but what are some of the lessons that you learned about doing a trial in your facility? And this is, this is something I hear, I, I hear a lot. What would you do differently? How would you approach it differently? Because we, we've talked about this in terms of just simple things like following the data a little bit closer to make sure that everything's been captured. But can you, can you share with me what that was like or what you would change? Absolutely. I, uh, this was the first time I've ever really done something like this. So I had a vision in mind, but in hindsight now, looking at the trouble that I had sifting through the data, I really think that it was almost too all-encompassing. I, I turned my team loose every day because we round on lines. 
um, normally every day. And in my facility, it's a 633 bed facility. We see just depending anywhere between 50 and some change up to 80 lines a day. Um, And I just turn them loose with some guidance. Hey, for this first four weeks, I want to know anytime you have to change a dressing early, please put it on this spreadsheet. And then when we did the trial, we did my pick nurses and I, I I got to, to apply some tissue adhesive too. Um, We just, we just started using it on everything. We really (laughs) loved the fact that it sealed the site and we just started using it on everything. So in hindsight, that probably wasn't the greatest thing. I should have narrowed my inclusion data going in because we do uh, probably at least 50% of our picks are for long-term antibiotics or home nutrition. And these patients are going to only be in the hospital for another day or two before they go home with their line. So we didn't get to follow those people. They were lost to the study. So I could only really then later speak to the ones that we were able to follow for at least that first seven day window to first dressing change, which is why in a team that does the kind of volume we do, I only had 97 observations at the back end. So I would definitely look more closely at what I want to see. And that would give me a hint as to what I need to exclude going forward to only capture that because I just captured an awful lot. And then some people maybe just didn't quite have a clear understanding of, of what our end game was. So then they were capturing an awful lot that really we had to exclude. Some of the evaluations were filled out partially. They filled out one segment, but then not another segment. So I think education to the people that are going to be doing, I guess being my first trial, I I really didn't realize that I, I I felt that my, my focus was sufficiently narrowed in that I was only going to look at early dressing changes and nothing else. But on the back end, I realized that I should only include ones that we could track in the hospital from application to that seven day window of the dressing change, at least for our pick insertions anyway, because we lost so many of those as we discharged those people. I think this is a great place for another short break to hear from our sponsor. This episode of I Save That podcast is brought to you by SecurePort IV, topical adhesive for catheter securement and site protection. SecurePort IV adhesive can help your organization reduce IV catheter failures and costs associated with IV catheter care and maintenance. Learn more at www.secureportiv.com. SecurePort IV, a new standard of care. You started off, I think, looking at your essential lines in your pickle, and that was yes. where you were going to put the tissue adhesive. But then you made the comment that you put SecurePort IV or tissue adhesive on everything. We did. What? <laughs> so you have an adult population. What? What's everything? Tell me what, what you're using it on. We used it on, obviously, the picks that we insert at Bedline. And we insert single, dual, and triple lumens. Also, two different types of midlines, we have two different products. One is a 15 centimeter protected, um, and then another one is a 10 centimeter. We also used it on 
all sorts of central lines, IJs, subclavians, femorals. We used it on vas caths, permacaths, and tunneled catheters as well. Many times when they come back from interventional radiology, they're a, usually a bloody mess. When we would get called for a first dressing change on those, uh, we would use those on the, whether it was a tunneled pit or some tunneled groschongs of the silicone catheters that we used it on. And then I branched out even further because we have had such an issue in our facility with bleeding ECMO lines, and we have a 16-bed ECMO unit in my facility. I asked them to pick out some good juicy lines for me, <laughs> and I went and used it. <laughs> I went and used it on the, on three different ECMO cannulas. One was ephemeral, one was an IJ, and one was a subclavian. And how did so, that respond? It worked really, really, really well. I I had set the bar very high. I was hoping for a pristine site for seven days and they were not. We ended up, I think they had to do dressing changes on the femoral the next, um, and then the IJ and the subclavian made it to day three and day four. But when I talked to the ECMO pump nurse and the primary nurses up there, they were just, they were thrilled that the sites had looked that good for that long. They said, typically, they're having to change these dressings daily. Some of these patients, and I know the gentleman that had the subclavian was just still on ECMO waiting for lung transplant. And they were doing active physical therapy with this gentleman. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a lot of, lot of mm-hmm. movement with that big stiff line in there. So the fact that we could minimize that line rocking in there and thereby seal the site and minimize the the amount of bleeding we had, they were thrilled with it. So I realized that maybe I had just set, set my bar a little too high because they were very pleased with the results that they could make it three and four days instead of an every other day. And we know that whenever we have to open a site to air to do these early dressing changes, we're putting our patients at risk. The fact that we could minimize it even some with these big lines, we were very happy. So Tara, what are some of your next steps now that your trial is complete? Well, next steps, I have already reported this out to both the HAI supply subcommittee and then the hospital HAI committee. Value analysis was looped in on this from day one. They were hugely supportive of this and very helpful in being able to partner with my own value analysis people during the data collect I could report to her weekly, and then we could look at the data together instead of just saving it all for four weeks and trying to do four weeks at once. And we have recommended, we've made our recommendations that we move forward and bring tissue adhesive into our facility as as a part of our standard care. They did tell me at that time, all the infection prevention people were, were very thrilled with it as well, but they feel like we need to have a framework for the use of this product in place. We are a very large hospital system. We're an 11 hospital system and only three of the hospitals in the system, me being the flagship of our system and then two others have dedicated vascular access teams. So the other facilities use ICU nurses, uh, specially trained ICU nurses who are also tasked with line maintenance 
they felt like in order to bring in all these people that we needed to first construct a framework as to how we envisioned this product being used. If we add a tissue adhesive to our toolkit, do we want to use it on every line at every insertion? Do we want to use it as needed? Uh, that type of thing. Multiple steps, the data collection to prove what we had hoped would be true and what, what we had hoped would mirror things like the Mayo study ended up being true. And we made our recommendations and those recommendations were then heard at the next level. But now they want to go further and construct these frameworks for use. I love how you guys have gone through this. It's very methodical, planned out, looked at pre and post, and now you're going through this exercise. So congrats, good job. Thank you. (laughs) With that, I so much wanna thank you, Tara and Lori for coming on our show today. And with that, for myself, Blake Hodgkiss, the Association for Vascular Access, and our wonderful board of directors, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You can see the entire AVA calendar on the AVA website at www.avainfo.org, which is also where you can join AVA or donate to the AVA Foundation. Don't miss Facebook Fridays, where we are live at noon Eastern time each week. Toss us a question or give us a like. We're on all the social media platforms. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Google Play Music. Now here comes the legal stuff. The topics discussed on the I Save That podcast are purely for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of clinicians before making any decision that affects your health or the health of your patients. Listeners of this podcast are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal is to inform and entertain the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with your own clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the hosts, our guests, our sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health your career, or any decision you make related to any information we've presented. The I Save That podcast contains segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the fair use doctrine as cited in section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have any specific concerns about this broadcast or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at podcast at avainfo.org. No part of this broadcast shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in part or in any form without the prior written consent of the Association for Vascular Access.